episode 24 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Phil Foresca. Hey, everybody. And Misha Bokikio. Hello. And we are at episode 24. That is two whole dozens of episodes. That is a lot of episodes. It is. Almost a quarter of a century. Moving right along. Exactly. So today, we are going to be talking about Google and all things that they're doing to dominate the world even more than they already are. But before we do, let's jump into the news. So Misha, do you have a news article for us? I have just a very small story to share with everybody today. How small? It's pretty minuscule, maybe making like a slight ripple in the hotel world, nothing huge here. But it's from USA Today and it is about the Marriott Star Wars merger. Obvious sarcasm earlier about this not being a big deal. So this has been all over the place over the past almost year since the initial purchase date. But it is finally complete. This happened um, just at the end of last week. Just to recap anybody who is unaware, Marriott um, ended up getting in a little bit of a bidding war with a Chinese company over Starwood Hotels. Um, They ended up winning that bidding war for the small price tag of $13 billion dollars. That's almost as much student loan debt as I have, so (laughs) I can attest to that's a very large amount of money. Um, Just some quick notes on what this means. Um, Now Marriott owns 30 individual brands. They have more than 5,700 hotels, which equates to over 1.1 million hotel rooms, and they are now present in 110 different countries. That's crazy. You know what's really crazy? Is that's more than three times what Disney paid for Star Wars. That's that's how I that's how I like quantify measure. things. My universal metric of measure is how much, much Star is Wars it worth relative to Star Wars. And you think about that, right? Though the phenomenon of Star Wars for the last thirty odd years, and how many billions of dollars they, those movies make, and yet this merger or this acquisition was worth three to th- over three times what Disney paid for that. That's so, a lot of money. It is a lot of money. I don't. Is this the largest, most expensive merger acquisition? Does anybody have to Oh, the hotel chain? I yeah. don't know. I don't know. We should should probably have looked that up before the podcast. Yeah. Well, but, hey, we're amateurs. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, it's big. You know, I think it's it's going to be a headache for a lot of people that are doing marketing because now they've got all these brands. And um, we tweeted out, we'll link to this in the show notes, but there was someone did a really cool graphic of all the different brands under this new umbrella. And even listed out all the like brand positions and what they stood for and ordered it by you know high luxury all the way down to to bargain so it, it's very confusing there's a lot of different types of property in this merger yeah i was going to mention that um the skift article that they listed out like you said 30 in brands they listed out you know everything what's unique about them like where mm-hmm. they sit you know from a price point everything and I thought the interesting part about that was they even listed some predictions as far as, you know, who's who they're going to get rid of, you know, who they're going to kind of combine. Yeah, there's definitely some overlap with it. You know, some of the contemporary newer millennial targeted brands like Aloft on the on the Star Wars side. And it, it, you know, it's I think there's going to be some consolidation. It makes sense. 
It, it does. I mean, there's so many of them now, and Phil and I were looking through the list, and I mean, there were some that we had never even heard of, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but you know, yeah, there's just, just so many. I was wondering how crazy it's going to be between Marriott points and Starwood's preferred guest points, and how they're going to do their loyalty program. And yeah, it's, it's going to be universal. It's going to be made universal, right? Is there going to be a conversion factor? Uh, well, yeah, I want to know what my Starwood points are. Big, yeah. like a big push now is they're really promoting the loyalty program. It seems like as of now, it's all been pretty much smoothed out you can log into members.marriott.com and all the points are still there they're good you can use them at all 30 hotels so i think that's their big push now is seeing you know what's left to be ironed out and you know what questions people have and kind of taking care of that but i feel like they did a big chunk of that beforehand which is definitely for the best yeah i'm really when you think about it you, it's just added value to any points that you did have with either company because mm-hmm. now it's expanded where you can redeem those points so I think we're going to see this kind of merger acquisition and consolidation continue, especially as these big brands are trying to find ways to drive more direct bookings. Because loyalty is ultimately the way they're going to do that. And the more brands they have, the bigger their net, the better, the more valuable their loyalty is. So it's, I mean, this is not a surprise that it's happened. I think everyone was expecting it to happen, but it's still, it has sent shockwaves in terms of the scale of, of the acquisition. So. And Marriott and uh, Starwood, if you need help marketing, just give us a call. We'll be glad to help you out. Yeah, and I would definitely volunteer to stay at any of your properties, provide my feedback, <laughs> let me know if you need any help. I recently stayed at an aloft, and it was so cool. They, they had, like, and I'm not a pet guy, as you know, but the, you could go to the front desk and borrow their dog and take it for walks. What? what? Yeah. Did they have cats? I didn't see cats, hmm. but they had dogs that you could borrow. It was pretty See, cool. I could provide useful feedback for great customer features for your new hotels. Like cats. No, like cats. cats. <laughs> that would be your answer to every question. It's like, what can we do to improve cats? What can we do to increase rev park? Cats. Or wine. Cats <laughs> or wine. Preferably cats together. And wine. Yeah. But Drunk cats. You know the hit first. That's all. That's, <laughs> drunk cats is the no, future. No, the of cats hotels. don't want to be drunk. I want to be drunk around the cats. Okay, it's getting weird. <laughs> okay. All right, so moving on. So I gotta say, we might have to take credit for this this next couple of articles. So we're gonna do two articles about Expedia. So we we've given a lot of kind of we've had a lot of conversations about how there's this big war going on. We even did an episode a few weeks ago focusing on the war between Booking Direct and the OTAs. And our, our stance has always been the OTAs aren't the enemy. They are kind of a frenemy because you're competing against them, but they're a useful tool that can help you drive new business. Um, you know, And as long as you have a good rate parity strategy, as long as you have a good Booking Direct strategy, then it's not a bad thing to use the OTAs. It's actually a good thing because it can get you some very good exposure to folks that wouldn't find you otherwise. So. One of the articles we talked about recently was this act of dimming, and we criticized it here on the podcast, as a lot of people in the industry did. But dimming was the act where where Expedia was d- decreasing the number of photos or the ranking of properties that had lower rates on their own website than they did on Expedia. And they recently came out and said they're going to stop this practice of dimming. And they cited reasons that, one, they heard a lot of negativity about it once this was um, the whistle was blown on this, um, partly the, by us. From the, the Fuel Hotel us. Marketing Podcast. Um, I have, have to say it was also on every major news outlet out there. Yeah, it was but awesome. they also said that it, they're doing it for usability 
reasons. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't in the user's interest to be dimming, which is what the argument we had in the first place, right? Which it didn't help consumers find what they were looking for when you were artificially manipulating the rankings and what was being presented. So I think hats off to Expedia. This is the right decision. They shouldn't, we shouldn't have been in this position in the first place, but that is great news. And then the second one I think might be even better news. And this is something that, that I hadn't heard of until it was announced. But they've come out with this new product called Rev Plus, which is free to anyone using Expedia, which is basically a rate management tool that you get that gives you data related to 90 days of in the future of demand and rates. And also will look and tell you if there's any rate changes within 24 hours and automatically send you alerts. So as a rate manager, you know, one of the biggest challenges is knowing um, you know, market conditions, knowing demand and knowing what your competition is doing. And Expedia having this data is now making that available to you for free. That has just won over a lot of friends to the Expedia camp. People that were maybe not friendly with Expedia are now going to say, well, you know what? You're now actually trying to help me. I get it. And, and I think that it, that is great. You guys seen this tool? What do you think? I have not seen it yet, but this is the first I've heard of it. Yeah, I can imagine this makes the revenue manager job a lot easier. Yeah, it's really cool. So it's is Red the Plus. tool like exclusive to Expedia? Like yeah. it only predicts things for Expedia users? Well, no, well, yeah, you have to be using Expedia with your property and um, it's using data that they're collecting. So they're using, you know, their demand prediction is based on search volume within Expedia. Okay. Their rate information is based on rates within Expedia. But, I mean, really, that's a good litmus test for the whole industry. I think if, if demand is up on Expedia, it's it's fair to say that it demands up in that market, you know. If demand's down, you know, obviously it's down in that market. And I think rates on Expedia are going to, you know, it's, it's still the number one for most properties third-party channel, right? So I think they're going to manipulate the rates there and yield rates there before any other channel. So I think if they're not doing it real-time from the PMS. So... I think it's a really good indicator either way. And I'd imagine most properties are involved with Expedia. It's not like they're yeah, you know, a lack of a lack of inventory or something. Yeah, I think there's maybe half a dozen of our clients don't push inventory out on Expedia and it's just because they don't need to. It's all book direct and there's small properties, you know. But um, yeah, I think that I'm very, very happy with Expedia this week. Which I don't very That's often a say. First. I know. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, next is Google is rolling out cross-device retargeting. So this is pretty big news for, for online advertisers. Um, we know that a lot of people are planning trips with a multitude of devices. Um, Google themselves state that 60% of online conversions start on one device and end on another. So this is, is it's pretty awesome. So Google's going to stop relying on cookies and mobile IDs to identify users. Um, <clears throat> Now, remarketing is going to be able to follow users who search on a mobile device and then go over to the desktop to complete their booking. We know we see that all the time, so this is a you know a good way good way to track people across devices. It's also great for advertisers because it lets us set a more true frequency cap. Let's say we had a frequency cap of three currently, sometimes someone might see it three times on desktop via the cookie, and then three times based on their mobile ID on their phone. Now we can combine those and make sure that they only see it three times instead of six times in a day. Um, you know, this is this this is going to be a lot better for the overkill that can be remarketing. Um, this is probably going to roll out over the next few months. Um, 
That's what Brad Bender, Google's VP of Display and Video Advertising, recently said. So we can expect to see this pretty soon. Yeah, this is cool. And, and I think cross-device, not necessarily just targeting, but tracking in general, to me, is the holy grail. It's what's missing today. And we know that people are using multiple devices. We know that, for example, even though um, mobile traffic has increased significantly, the bookings haven't matched that pace, right? Because people are still starting on a mobile device and then ultimately converting on a desktop. So from an analytics perspective, we miss a big piece of the, the puzzle. We don't see that full path of behavior through the conversion funnel. Yeah, attribution it, becomes really tough. It is, right? Because you, you lose part of it. And the only way we've, we've able, been ma- able to manage to do it on the website side is if there's some reason for people to log into that website. So if you're an online store, something like that, then you can give people a really good reason to log in to see your orders, um, et cetera. On a hotel website, other than loyalty, there's very few things you can do to incentivize this. So it, it's great that this is happening on the advertising front, I really hope and pray that Google now rolls this functionality more into Google Analytics. Mm-hmm. Because Agreed. if we can start to track people, people's behavior throughout the funnel across device, that's going to be really, really powerful and help answer a lot of questions that we all have as marketers. Yeah, I think it's really going to help us connect those dots because I feel like we, from a marketing perspective, struggle to really convey the value of some of these advertising channels that we have. So let's take video as an example. You might have a really great video that showcases the amenities at your hotel or wherever it might be and you're running it on you know, YouTube as a pre-roll ad. But then justifying that return, you might have you know, a, re- a really high reach and a lot of people see this, but then like tying that directly to revenue is not always the easiest thing because they might watch the video on their phone and then they might go look up you know, on a desktop later, look up the property. And it's just there's so many steps that happen between on different devices. And so I, I, you know, I don't think this will solve everything, but I feel like it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, and there's certain channels. A video is great. Anything related to social media, especially Facebook, because you think about the majority of people using Facebook on their mobile device. They click on the link on their mobile phone, but yet, yet they're still more likely to book on the desktop. We're losing some of the attribution, well, some of the value of social media. Google kind of took this from Facebook. I mean, Facebook's already doing this. They, they know who you are from your phone. They know who you are on your desktop, your tablet, whatever, and, and their advertising platform already works this way. So Google's kind of adopting that Facebook model. Yeah, I think it's a little different, though, because because we were often said internally that for someone to, to solve this problem that everyone has, it has to be someone that has universal access to consumers on every device, right? And we've always said, you know, it could either be a hardware manufacturer, like an Apple or, or Microsoft, um, or, or it could be a Google, or it could be a Facebook, because people are logging in to multiple places. But I really think if you look at the data now on Facebook, most people are only one device majority of the time for Facebook. You know, if I, if I think about my wife, who's, who's more of a Facebook user than I am, she very rarely logs into a laptop, if ever, on, face, on Facebook. She's always using her phone. So I don't know if Facebook has that information that Google does because I think people are definitely, especially when I think about email, when I think about all of Google's tools in search engine, I think in Chrome you know, and, and Android, Google has a lot more data on people in terms of their behavior between different things on their devices. I think Facebook has more demographic and and behavioral information related to what they like and their interests. I think Google has more data when it comes to what they're physically doing on their devices. So I think Google is 
for me, the only one that can really solve the problem well because they're going to have a statistically better match between devices than Facebook. For sure. I mean, and how many people use Gmail and Google? It's, mm -hmm. I mean, billions. You think about all the different things that you touch with related to Google. You know, it, it's mind-boggling now. You know, there's very few things that don't involve Google. And, and stuff you bit. don't think about, stuff that you're touching just while you're logged in and, and those, you know, those type of metrics as well. It's, yeah, I mean, almost every website crazy. you go to, you know, even if you're not using a Chrome browser on an Android operating system, right, you, you're still probably going to be hitting Google Analytics on that website, you know, or, or some retargeting code with AdWords or conversion code. You probably came from the search engine in the first place. It's, I mean, they're pretty universal. Um, which is a great segue into the topic today, because we're talking about Google, who is this behemoth in the industry that dominates the world already, but they are doing a lot of things that are going to influence our world, and there's not a whole lot we can do about it, but be educated and adapt to, to what they're telling us to do. So we're going to talk about three things today. First is they're making a lot of changes to the SERP, which is the search engine results page, which is the physical layout of um, Google results when you type in a keyword. They're also making a bunch of changes um, continually, but some, some they've announced related to the Google algorithm and how things rank and what position they're ranking. And then thirdly, they last week finally released to the wild their uh, Google Trips mobile app for Android and iOS. So we're gonna talk about those three things and in the context of how that's gonna affect travel. So let's start with uh, the SERP changes. Let's do it. So we have two specific articles to discuss related to this. Um, both of these came from a website called Search Engine Roundtable. A lot of times if Google doesn't make a big deal and announce something themselves, it kind of stays under the radar and then it kind of comes out on industry forums or people asking questions about it online. So that's what these two websites happen to be about. Um, it's kind of just a community of nerdy internet people like us. You know, Barry Schwartz digs it up. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, all the time. And um, so he dug up the first one, which was Google showing flights and hotel cost for vacation searches. So this was seen out in the wild um, for somebody who was searching a very broad search term. It was Caribbean vacations. And the new feature that's showing for this is a search box that has um, the name of the destination. So in this case, it was Caribbean. And then it says popular destinations. And what you see is several smaller boxes that have specific destinations within it. So Caribbean, you'll see um, St. Martin, Nassau. I'm probably not going to pronounce any of these correctly because I've never been to the Caribbean. But it has all the different island names there. And then it has a super brief description of what that area is known for. And then it has a little hotel icon or a little bed icon with an average hotel price. And then a little airplane icon for what a flight would cost. So this is the first time that like this presentation has been shown with both the flight and the hotel cost data associated with it. I have been able to replicate this with Caribbean vacations and some other super, super broad terms. But as far as like, like Myrtle Beach, for example, I'm not seeing this or Charleston or any specific destinations. So it's not entirely clear like exactly if, like where they're testing this or if it is a test or if it's going to roll out everywhere. They haven't really responded to this yet, but it is out there and um, you know, kind of moving through the process. So if you do click on, um, let's say Punta Cana, you click on that 
and then it's going to take you to a new screen that's now google.com slash destinations or it's their destinations at google you know kind of interface that then shows you a ton of information about that destination about the best times of year to visit about when it's normally the busiest um, all kinds of stuff to do restaurants dining just a ton of information that we've talked about in, in other episodes and we have some blogs about on our website but this is just you know a continued iteration of building out this huge travel interface yeah i mean and they're definitely making strides to you know, take over travel industry this is one small one but you know you can you can see it yeah and we you know it, it's very obvious that both google and TripAdvisor are trying to get rid of the middleman right from their perspective you think about how much revenue is coming right now to Google from the Expedia's, the Booking.com's, the price lines of the world. They're, they're the number one advertising spender on Google in the tra- in travel, right? So they're then turning around and selling their wares to the hotels, right? So they're a, they're a middleman. So from the, ho- from the Google perspective, if they can get rid of that middleman and go direct to the hotels, they get a bigger slice of that pie. So it makes sense that they want to become an OTA, both Google and TripAdvisor. And to me, this is a necessary step for Google to become an OTA. They've got to be able to package stuff because that's what the OTAs already do. You can go there and buy a hotel or a flight or both combined. And that's what Google's doing here. Well, and how many people go to Google and search and then they click on Expedia or TripAdvisor exactly. or whoever? You know, They use Google first. They're not yeah. going straight to Expedia.com. You know, and I personally find this pretty useful if I'm just in a very broad research phase of a destination. This is a pretty nice layout. I mean, I like that it does give you that information, like Putacata, for example. The flight is $409, which is the most expensive flight on there, but then the average hotel cost is 74 bucks. So it is very useful, in my mm-hmm. opinion, just to get that information up front. And I feel like they've done, or they're in the process of doing a really good job of you know establishing the top level information and really getting you in from the beginning of the search journey and I feel like they've done or are doing a good job of the hotel price ads trying to improve that make that more useful so they've got kind of the beginning part of the funnel and the end part of the funnel I think you know as they move forward they're really gonna start trying to connect all those dots in between to keep you in Google the entire journey yeah, there's really not going to be a need to leave Google until you've made that decision. And then you'll transact through Google or one of their direct partners versus a third party. Uh, I think this is big. And I think this is another indication that, you know, we, we've kind of struggled and a lot of people in the industry have struggled with the performance on Google hotel price ads. And this is a clear indication that they're really committed to it being successful. They're going to find a way to make it successful. Even if they have to punch you in the face to get you to use it, they're going to put it everywhere they can. Speaking of, it's a nice uh, walk into our next little bit of search engine results page news. So this was actually reported on um, SC Roundtable as well. Already kind of explained what that is, but... Google is going to be showing the hotel price ads widget above Google AdWords ads, which is pretty freaking huge news. Yeah. So this initially kind of leaked or was we were told about it last week and we didn't have a clear understanding of this, so we reached out to our rep just to get, you know, clarification on this. Um, so this is only going to apply for like large retail chains, so think Marriott or Holiday Inn or Hilton for now. 
Um, and what this is going to do is it's going to move the hotel price ads widget above an AdWords ad. So you would typically see this um, in the knowledge graph box or maybe in a drop down on the SERP somewhere else under the links, but now this is going to be front and center and the first thing that you're going to see whenever you type in some of these really big hotel chains. So that to me again says that they're really focusing on HPA and that's going to be a huge push. So that's going to have an impact not only on your organic search results, but also your AdWords performance as well. Well, and your OTAs, right? Because who else is in those ad, in the paid ads? It's the OTAs. So this is, if you're participating in Google HPA, then this is a good thing for you because it's going to drive more direct bookings at the expense of the OTAs. Well, you got to think they also make more money, Google does, from a hotel price ad than they would from an AdWords ad. Say we pay you know, $2 a click for your brand. Well, now they can get $2 per room night searched mm -hmm. through the HPA program. So Or even commission now, which right. they're beginning to so roll yeah, out. They, so, yeah, they roll out a 10 to 15% commission. It's definitely looking like more money for Google. Yeah, which, again, it's they're trying to disintermediate the OTAs. They just they don't need them because they've got the distribution. Right. They've got the people coming to their site starting the search. So what what's the purpose? In the world we live in today, what's the purpose of an Xperia or Priceline from Google's perspective. Mm -hmm. right. It serves I mean, they, no purpose. They've done it with flights, right? You've seen it with, with flights in, in the search results too. And mm -hmm. the one weird thing I pointed out, I think it's in the notes here, but the flight widget is below the AdWords ads. The hotel widget is above the AdWords ads. I think that's definitely a, a clear indication that they really need to make this thing work for themselves. Yeah, and, and it's we need to remember that this is a test, right? Everything Google does when it's changed, they're testing it, they're monitoring the performance, they want to see. And, and they've moved around the flight one before, and they'll probably continue to move around the flight one and the hotel one. So this doesn't mean that we're in this permanent state where this is always going to be the case. But it does mean there's a big opportunity now if you're using HPA to get more revenue through that channel. So look at your budget and see if you need to increase that maybe pull some away from AdWords and sink it into HPA. Yeah, and I will say that HPA, I mean, even for us that uses HPA, has not been the most user-friendly experience. It hasn't been the best, you know, profit generator for our clients um, from what we've seen, but I feel like they are finally starting to dedicate some more resources to it, and I'm excited about, you know, the new commission-based program just to see if that's a little bit better because their bidding is so complex and there's really so many is. ways to do it, and it's expensive. So I'm I'm curious to see if the commission works a little bit better for us than, than the, the way it's working now. I, I mean, I feel like it would be infinitely easier to manage. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the toughest parts of HPA is it's just a nightmare to manage yep. in its current the state. The bidding war on that platform is intense. But... Which, who knows, but perhaps when AdWords first rolled out, it was yeah. terrible and yeah. we missed that iteration of it. So Are you young kids? Listen to me. <laughs> perhaps. See, I was there back in the dinosaur days when AdWords rolled out. And Which was in what, the 50s, for the record. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was not because no one had really understood the power of advertising on search engines at that point. So it was cheap. It yeah. was so cheap. No, There was no competition. So it mm. was, I mean, if you jumped on that early, you could make a lot of money on AdWords mm. when it first rolled out. So there's their end of your history lesson for the day, children. Are you done with SERP talk? That is all the SERP talk I have for today. Alright, so let's jump over to algorithm talk. Alright, so yeah, a couple big changes in the Google algorithm lately. Um, the first one we'll talk about here is the Google Possum update. 
The Possum update is is focused on local search results. Um, we haven't seen it make a huge impact with hotels just yet, but that's not to, to say it's not going to. Um, the, like I said, this is mainly dealing with local results, but um, the biggest thing we saw was businesses falling outside a physical city limit just saw a huge spike in ranking within the local three-pack. So before, if a business was just outside the city limits, they'd have trouble ranking for keywords containing a city name. Since this update, um, those sites that are just outside city limits saw huge ranking increases. Um, we, you know, we've seen in the past that people searching from different locations see different results. Um, some, some businesses are claiming this new update has shaken things up even more, especially within that local, local three-pack there. Um, so yeah, definitely the physical location of the searcher is, is more important than it ever has been. And um, the three-pack, a lot of people have been seeing this. We ha Again, we haven't seen it happen just yet, but the three-pack's seen quite a bit of change for seemingly identical searches. Uh, we've seen small changes in the three-pack, but others are reporting much more. Um, the ones that I was checking, Myrtle Beach Hotels, Hotels in Myrtle Beach, Hotels in Myrtle Beach SC, all of those three-packs were fairly different even though those terms are what Google would consider a synonym and should be serving the same result. So that was that was the the first update with uh, was was possum um, but we'll have to see how that affects hotels. So you know we've always kind of thought about the the factors that go into the the local algorithm right it's completely separate from the organic algorithm. And we know that the fact is they look at some, there's some overlap, but the weighting can be different. And for the longest time, Google's always favored this imaginary center of a city. Like there's this point at which Google determines it's the center of a city and your vicinity to that has given you an advantage over the competition. Right. People used to buy business businesses and close as they could to the, that center point right. just to have that address. And, and, and when you really think about it, that just that's nonsense because the, the geographic center of the city is, is meaningless to most people and, and where you want to be and what you want to do. So I love that Google's doing this where they're downplaying the value of that in looking more about the relative vicinity to the person that's searching and doing things that, that are a lot more organic and, and fluid to make it a better user experience. So this is great from my perspective. Yeah, this is this is all about user experience from my perspective. I, this is this is just better for, for everybody involved. Yeah, and even for us, I mean, we have a lot of clients in the Myrtle Beach area and you think like Myrtle Beach is a huge actual area. And it's really and weird because it's hundreds skinny. of hotels. Yeah, so mm -hmm. like for example, we have a lot of properties that happen to be in North Myrtle Beach, the city of North Myrtle Beach, but now arguably to have a better chance of showing up for you know more generic terms like Myrtle Beach Hotels. I do think it is interesting though that the synonyms have been so different. So when you're looking at Myrtle Beach mm -hmm. Hotels, Hotels in Myrtle Beach, like in my mind, I'm like, what's the differentiator between those? They're so similar. Like why are the results so different? Like what are they pulling from? I feel like that's more of a test for Google, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to see what people like on very, very similar searches and be able to make their three pack as you know, the best they can. Yeah, I think it's a combination of, of you know, personalization and just an aggregate behavior, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, I think what it, it's good in terms of now you can actually have a fair competition with other people in the market versus before where you were handicapped if you weren't in near that 
geographic center. And especially in cities where there's suburb cities or micro cities around it that, that maybe some people call it a different name and some people don't. In the Myrtle Beach area, you have that problem with, like you said, North Myrtle Beach. You have Garden City, Surfside, Morals Inlet, all these sub-cities that really a lot of people think of that synonymously with Myrtle Beach. So I think it's a big advantage for those people on the outskirts or the suburbs of these cities. Yeah, so if you're ranking in the local three-pack for for big terms right now, just pay attention to your rankings because they may change. Yeah, and you know we know that that's a huge driver of traffic. You know, so it could. It, some people are going to win big on this. Some people are going to lose. So you got to really be focused on it. Definitely. So what's next? Second one, um, big algorithm update. Google's Penguin algorithm finally saw another one. Um, the Penguin algorithm. Uh, this it identifies sites that use spammy link building practices. Uh, this is the fourth major release of Penguin. Um, we've, we've heard in the past Google was trying to bake the Penguin into the, their typical algorithm so it operates in real time, but now we're seeing that that's actually the case. This, this latest update is baked right into their typical crawling algorithm. So before this update, Google was dishing out entire site-wide penalties if you were using spammy link building practices. Uh, sites would have to make huge efforts to remove and disavow spammy links. Um, and sites would remain penalized until the next time the penguin filter ran. And only then would they have a chance to have that penalty lifted. Now, this, this, with this update, penguin's supposed to run much more granularly. Um, the update crawls and indexes pages, and the penguin filter assesses the pages in real time. So penalties are now assessed on more of a page or site section uh, level than, than a site-wide level. Um, some people have claimed to have seen the effects of this already. Uh, we're likely to see more and more as this continues to roll out and operate in real time. But if you are using spammy link building practices before you might have you know, completely fallen out of the index and now you might only see that for pages or sections of your site that you've used that for. But um, I think this is, this, is a, this is a big deal, especially for, for people who choose to use shady practices. Yeah, and we could get super deep and technical on this, but but I think we need to step back a little bit and explain it, right? So Google indexes your pages on a semi-frequently basis, depending on how, how much you're changing your site, depending on how popular your site is, that can vary, but it could be once a day, it could be once a week, it could be once a month that they're indexing your site. That's their main algorithm. They're looking at all kinds of factors when they're doing the indexing and deciding where you're likely to rank for a specific keyword. Now, separate to that, they run these side algorithms. And Penguin was one of these side algorithms, like you said, that runs at a different um, cadence than your the website gets indexed. And it was the same for everyone. So maybe every three months, they'd up refresh the Penguin update in that score that your website gets overall is now one factor in your in the main algorithm right so say you got a score of 50 in the middle then that goes into your main algorithm if you got a 2 or a 100 that would go into the main algorithm but it doesn't change until penguin refreshed so what was happening was people would get penalized and then they just have to sit and wait and there was nothing they could do until that penalty because they could remove those bad links, but until Penguin refreshed, they still had the penalty. Now that's not the case. So I think for people that accidentally get penalized, this is great. Right? For people that maybe bought a link without realizing it was from a, someone they shouldn't be buying links from, and they get dinged, 
now they can say, oh, we didn't mean to do that, remove it, and almost instantaneously, as soon as your site gets indexed again, the penalty is lifted. You don't have to wait through right. Or say you take over a site that has had that has been yeah, penalized. We've seen that. We've right. seen that. You take over a site that has a manual penalty on it, and you just try and try and try to get rid of all these terrible links, which you can be successful with. We yeah, have. You can disavow. You can actually reach out to people and say, I don't want you to link to me anymore because you're shady. Right. Sometimes they'll take the link down. But you, you before, you had to wait. Like yeah. you said, forever, and yeah. that that can be just so much revenue you're losing by not being in the search results for months. Exactly. The moral to this story, though, children, <laughs> is don't build spammy links, right? And, and it's easy for you to say. I was in a client meeting the other day, and and the question was posed: Well, can we trick Google to? And I just stopped them right there. I'm like, no, 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 no. Any sentence that starts with "Can we trick Google?" is a bad sentence. Don't answer that. No. Yeah, they, <laughs> these guys are the smartest company on planet Earth. They have lots of PhDs that are way smarter than any of us. Any kind of hack that we think or, or thing we can game within the system is short-lived. Right? There are a lot of people that have very short-term success by building a lot of spammy links for a very small period. And that, that period might have been a couple of months and you might have made money during that time. But sooner or later, Google's going to get you. And when they do, they hit you hard. Yeah, ultimately, so, you lose. Yeah, and you, you're not going to win long-term against Google. So anytime you're thinking about doing the spammy kind of link building, just forget it. Focus on earning links by pro- providing value and great content for people. That's ultimately how you're going to show Google that you're worthy of ranking in their search results. That's all I got with the algorithm updates. What's next? Okay. It, it's funny that they keep with the P form, like formula yeah. for their name. So you got um, penguin, panda, panda, possum, possum, and we're really pulling for them to roll out a platypus. 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 <laughs> yeah. We want the platypus. We next should just start year. taking bets on like the next name of their next new algorithm. Like think of as many P animals. Yeah. Well, then they came out with the hummingbird. Yeah, hummingbird like, came that, out. Is that have a pigeon? S- silent. Yeah. H? I don't know. Like hummingbird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were a little off base with that one. I feel like they just want to mess with people. That's my theory. They Google. They're like, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so moving on, keeping with Google theme. Google, we, we talked about this a few episodes ago that they, this was in, in beta and some people had seen it, but Google have been um, busy beavering away at an app for trip planning, and they've released it last week. It's called Google Trips, available on Android and iOS. You can go to the App Store, type in Google Trips, and download it, which we've done, and we've been playing around with it. And basically, what this does is it mines data related to your email address, so it looks to see reservation confirmations, flight confirmations, so hotels, flights, um, show tickets, whatever it is, and automatically pulls that into the app and assumes that you're making a trip whenever you have that kind of data. But then you can supplement that information by building out a full itinerary. You can you can say what you're gonna eat, you can discover local attractions and things to do and plan out your whole day's itinerary right within this app. Now there's a, cool, a few cool features um, that make this a little better than a lot of others on the market because there are other things out there that do similar stuff. But one, they're using the power of Google, right? They're looking at all the data they have on you and everyone else to make recommendations that are personalized to you based on what they know you've done in the past, which I think is pretty cool. Plus it's got a cool offline mode. 
So if you blowed your trip information, especially if you're an international traveler, this is really important because data is really expensive when you go abroad, right? And it's limited. So you can pull in all the information related to your trip, including directions from point A to point B, and you can load all that without internet access when you get to that destination, which I think is a pretty cool feature. I think that mapping feature is probably the coolest one that if, for if you're building a whole trip itinerary, it's yeah. gotta be so helpful. Yeah, and it, and it does it by time and commutes and all this stuff. So it's, it's a pretty cool um, app. Now I will say this, I think one, it's hard to get adoption of a product like this. It's not for everyone. Like I think if you're a discovery traveler, I think it makes sense. If you're just a functional traveler, you go to the same place every year with your family, this is probably not the kind of... Yeah, the business traveler doesn't care. Yeah, so so I think it's a, it's a limited um, market that they're targeting with this. Um, I also think the user interface could be a little more solid. For, for a Google product, I, I don't know. I just I don't feel like it has the, the normal usability, friendliness, um, or iconography that a Google product normally has maybe that's just me no so i so i downloaded the app i as you two know and the world's about to know so i'm planning a trip to new orleans for my mom's birthday and i downloaded the app and it automatically uploaded my flight plans which is pretty cool but so i'm in here kind of clicking around and like i have a free place to stay thanks mom for that but if i needed a hotel like i'm confused as to where i would go if i wanted to book a hotel or if that's not a thing or i just don't know how to use apps yeah i don't feel like this product yet is about booking i think it's mm -hmm. more about keeping your information together i think that'll yeah. come i think it's a no-brainer for them because now we just talked about the fact they're selling packages right so i think that's kind of the evolution of it but i think right now it's more of i've already booked it Here's where I store all my information. Together. Well, I plan on testing their recommendations that they have an app versus what a local would actually recommend. My mom being the person that lives there. So I'm curious to see if this is like super touristy stuff, if it's actual like decent stuff to do. I mean, they've got a lot of information in there. Um, but, you know, I agree with you. It's kind of, eh. It's a little clunky, it's a little yeah. slow. Uh, the I think it's only had 25 reviews so far on the Apple Store, which is Jeez. pretty low for a Google product, and the average star rating is only two. So we're mm. not the only ones that are thinking this isn't the best product in the world. Yeah, yet. I just feel underwhelmed by it, I yeah, would say. Yeah, I think that's a good, it's not getting a lot of buzz either. Like I, I've seen people reporting it exists, but beyond that, no one's saying this is you know the second coming or anything like that. This is just, okay, Google's released something like to me if i'm looking at a yeah. restaurant like it'd be super nice i mean you can click to call which is handy but if i could just make a reservation from my phone right now that Through would be like easier table yeah, or, uh, yeah something which like can that. TripAdvisor do that i feel like they can yeah they've integrated so, with, with open table yeah you know? i just so, feel like there's like half of the steps are there but they're not quite all the way there yeah i, I would agree I, th I think it has the dna to be something potentially good but this is version one and it needs to get to it needs to mature as a product probably get to version three or four before is something that I will consider using. Or it could yeah. turn into Google Wave or Google Plus and now Google Trips. <laughs> Man, Google Wave was the best. I wish that was a still thing. <laughs> that was what cool. Was, okay, I feel like, what is Google Wave? Did I miss this? Google Did Wave, was, wave? <laughs> was the replacement yeah. for email. So it was basically collaborative email. Um, it was Docs before Docs, you know, like Google Docs and that. Well, it was, it was it probably was that. that. It was more of the messaging, though. It was more of a collaborative, open chat so you could see mm -hmm. uh, you could add people to the middle of conversations 
that they could only see part. They could replay a whole email thread in order when it was said. So uh, it was pretty cool. I was super excited about it. I'm kind of mad <laughs> yeah. it didn't work out. Yeah, I think a lot of the features, like you said, did roll into Google um, Drive and Docs, but it was pretty cool when they announced it. It was the death of email is what they said. Yeah. Never happened. Every time someone says it's the death of something, you can yeah. pretty much write it off as yeah, garbage. Well, the, the, I think uh, the um, the search engines must be a cat because they've had at least eight <laughs> or nine deaths so yeah. far. The How death many times has SEO died? I think yeah. that's going to be my super buzzwordy like Twitter ad for this week. The death of something. We'll have to. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll have to that's come. very clickbait. Yeah. Click on it, people. <laughs> The, that maybe that podcast should be called the death of Google. the death of Google. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's why when you see the the headline, <laughs> this episode is called the death of Google. We just made it up. So everything's made up, and what we say doesn't matter. <laughs> Everything I say matters. <laughs> you should have more pride in what you say, Misha. All right. So I think we've Googled it to death, but we did have a question from one of our friendly listeners this week. We sure did. We had a question from Laura. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. How do you say it? Laura. Laura? Yeah, L-A-R-A. Like Laura Croft. Yes. Sure. <laughs> so you're saying it more like Laura, Laura with a U. Laura? Laura, Laura. I think it's Laura. I think did you're we just not picking just say on it <laughs> Did we not just say the exact same You're thing saying more? it differently. Laura? Laura. Sorry we don't have your accent. Okay. <laughs> Is it an accent? <laughs> we apologize, Laura slash Laura. L-A-R-E. L-A-R-E. So she actually tweeted, Stuart, um, she said, I have a question. How can you track TripConnect conversions on Google Analytics? Great question. So TripConnect, for those that you don't know, uh, is the, the meta search functionality within TripAdvisor. So you basically bid a cost per click and you show up there along with Expedia's and Booking.com's and these other folks. So when someone's looking at your property, puts in uh, the dates, then your rates can actually show there within this TripConnect module. When a consumer clicks there, actually leaves TripAdvisor and goes to your website or more likely to your booking engine with those dates pre-filled and that rate showing up, right? So you're leaving TripAdvisor going to preferably your booking engine and how do we track that? So the answer, the simple answer is through campaign IDs within uh, Google Analytics. So Google Analytics has this cool feature called campaign IDs, which you basically set up and you append these little variables to the end of the URL. So say it was mywebsite.com was my site. It would be mywebsite.com slash, and then I'd have some variables added there to denote that this is TripAdvisor, this is TripConnect, and maybe a date or something. Whatever, however, I'm gonna segment those. So those UTM codes or, or campaign IDs are the best way to track any kind of third-party revenue coming to your website. Now, there are a few caveats to that. One is if your booking engine and your website are on different domains, you're licensing your booking engine from a third party and it goes from mydomain.com to reservations.mydomain.com or some different URL, uh, you need to make sure that Google Analytics is on both of those URLs and that you're passing information behind the scenes back and forth so you can track people when they bounce from your website to your booking engine and back because if you don't do that you're going to often lose those campaign ids when people do do that bounce between the two so what we'll do is in the show notes because it's very technical we'll link to how to add campaign id ids to a url and google also has this really cool little page where you can build a campaign tracking url 
just by putting in the URL you want it to go to and the where the ad is going to be placed and it automatically builds out that tracking URL with the campaign IDs already appended so you don't have to worry about getting it wrong or typos or anything like that you just copy and paste that into TripConnect when you do it uh, so that's for TripConnect now TripAdvisor also um, offers uh, instant booking now as well where you don't actually leave TripAdvisor you can actually book directly within TripAdvisor's website now that I would not track in any way in Google Analytics because that booking doesn't actually occur even though it can happen through your um, booking engine to your PMS is not actually touching your website so you don't want that to show and um, warp your data within Google Analytics so for that I would recommend pulling that data out into say a spreadsheet that you compare with your other third party Yeah, you look at that more sources. like an OTA um, instant booking operates very much like one so probably shouldn't exactly so hopefully your PMS allows you to see that for folks that don't have a PMS that allows you to kind of segment that as a third party I would use something like um, Supermetrics as a plugin where you can pull in data from third parties and into Excel or into Google Sheets and you can use Supermetrics to pull in data from Google Analytics and say AdWords and maybe even from something like TripAdvisor Instant Booking or you can manually add it to the spreadsheet and then pull in other data automatically through Supermetrics so that kind of answers the question and like I said it, it gets really technical, so we'll just link to that in the show notes, which you'll be able to get from fueltravel.com slash podcast, and then click on episode 24. And, uh, yeah. So, guys, any other final thoughts about Google or TripAdvisor or anything in the world of hotel marketing? Google's officially dead. Google is officially <laughs> dead. The death of Google, you heard it here first. No, I, I don't know. Google's not going anywhere anytime soon, so I feel like, you know, just staying literally every day up to date with the latest changes what's going on i mean it's it's important and that's why we're here so continue listening to us so we can fill you in <laughs> it's actually the opposite of the death of google it's like the birth of google travel is what we covered here yeah google is no longer dead yeah it never was in google google and it's all of its travel yeah i, I feel really <laughs> spammy by if we do put this <laughs> This We've is weird, been right? Seeing because it work so many right? times. These guys annoying. are going through time travel now, though, right? Because we're sitting here, we haven't decided what it's going to be called. But by the time they listen to this episode, they, they will know. So they know right now more than we do right now. It's like time travel. You just blew my mind a I little know. bit. That that hurts my brain a little bit. All right, so. This is the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. You can get all your tips and tricks on hotel marketing and time travel right here. And we'll have another episode next week. So guys, where can they find you on the web? Misha. You can find me on Twitter at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. You can find me on Twitter at P Fariska. That's P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. And you can find me at Stuart Butler at S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. We would love to hear from you. Submit your questions just like Lara slash Lara slash Lara (laughs) did. And we'll be glad to do our best to answer them. I'm not making fun of you, Lara. I'm making fun of Misha, just so you know. Yeah, my name is Misha Bokikio. So, like, literally, I can, like... I can make fun of anything I want. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, And until next week, you've been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast.
Can you say I'm somewhere? in an office and I'm testing. <laughs> I'm in an office and, and I'm, I'm testing. testing. <laughs>